You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. Good morning, Mercy Culture. My name is Jasmine Wheeler. I'm one of the pastors here. And the vision of Mercy Culture is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. In other words, we are obsessed with people encountering God. Uh, yeah, somebody said, come on, you know. We want people to meet the Lord, to encounter him every single day of their lives. And one of the ways that we do that is through what we call MC Connect, which is technically membership, but it's really discipleship. We believe that everybody has different ways that they were designed to connect with the Lord. And we wanna help you figure out how you best connect with him. That video that you just saw is one of the ways that a lot of people connect with the Lord. Uh, and so we wanna encourage you to take this assessment that helps you learn how you best connect with the Lord. If you wanna take that, you text CONNECT to 59090 uh, and so you can learn how to best connect with the Lord. Um, one of the videos you just saw as well is that we have our prayer night coming up this week on Wednesday night. That is when we gather together to seek the Lord. We pray together as a house. It's our corporate time of worship and prayer. Uh, so if you're a part of this house, you've been looking for an opportunity to come and pray with people and get in the presence of God with people and you come on Sunday, but you're like, when else can I come into the house of the Lord? Come meet us on Wednesday night and pray with us as a, as a church, as a, as a community. Uh, the next thing, we have our Axel Creatives Intensive August 10th through the 13th. I hear like a little scattered claps okay scattered claps a few people maybe you've been to it before or heard of it uh, but Axel is our creative community and so if you are a creative in here and maybe you're in a band or you're a filmmaker or a songwriter a fashion designer a chef a Dorito stacker whatever it is that you do for the Lord, whatever that creative expression is that you do, uh, we have a community for you. We have a place for you to be equipped. Uh, how many of you know that we need reformation in the arts and entertainment industry? We need people writing godly books for kids. We need people writing songs that will disciple a generation. We need films that will teach people how to process things through a kingdom perspective. We need to see the kingdom of God advance through the, the, the arts and entertainment industry. And this creatives intensive on August 10th through the 13th is one of the ways that we do that. It's one of the places that we equip people uh, to do that. And so uh, text Axel Intensive to 59090 for more information or to register for that intensive. Um, and then finally, uh, I feel so honored to, to be entrusted with this pulpit this morning. Pastor Landon and Heather, the senior lead pastors of this house, are not in the building right now, uh, but I just wanna honor my pastors and say thank you for trusting me uh, to take this pulpit this morning. It's such an honor to have the opportunity. If you wanna follow along with me, you text notes to 59090. Uh, there's lots of notes for you on the app. I got about 20 pages of notes today, lots of scripture. Uh, don't get nervous, I won't read the entirety of everything on those 20 pages, but I wanted you to have all the scriptures so that you can learn more about what we're talking about today. You can study and take it to the Lord on your own. Uh, and so text, 90, or text notes to 59090 for those. Everybody ready? Ready to jump in this morning? Okay, before I get to the main text, I need you to know two things. First, Proverbs 20, verse 27, it says this, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. Your spirit is the lamp of the Lord. And number two, I need you to know that there's an undeniable link between God 
and light all throughout the word of God. And so with that in mind, let's read this main text for today. It's 1 Samuel 4, verses 12 through 18. It says, then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does this sound of tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. And it says, Eli was 98 years old and his eyes, say his eyes, his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle. And I fled today from the battle line. And he said, well, what happened, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas are dead and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy. I came today to tell you that your lamp can't stay lit without oil. The title of today's message is The Seven Spirits of God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for Pentecost. We remember the outpouring of your spirit today. And right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come again to do the same thing in the room this morning. Spirit of wisdom, we welcome you in this room right now. Spirit of understanding, you're welcome here this morning. Spirit of counsel, we welcome you in this room. Spirit of might, you're welcome here. Spirit of knowledge, fear of the Lord, we welcome you in this room. We just declare no spirit but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this room this morning. Father, I just bind up fear. I bind up the religious spirit. You're not welcome here this morning. Come have your way, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, reveal to us what we cannot know on our own. Show us what we cannot see on our own this morning. And so, Lord, we love you. Come have your way in this room. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're stewarding a word this year, 2023. The word of the year is dunamis. Dunamis is when the Holy Spirit's power goes from resting on you to dwelling or abiding inside of you. We've been teaching on the foundations of our faith, strengthening and fortifying our faith as followers of Jesus. If you haven't done it in a while, I would encourage you, go back and listen to the word of the year. Uh, we preached it at the top of the year in January. Go take a, li a listen to that word to remind yourself of what we're stewarding stewarding part of the word that we've been stewarding is that we're strengthening and fortifying through the word of God and one of the ways we've been trying to equip this house to do that is by singing the word of God so if you haven't noticed we try to just sing songs that are scripture have y'all noticed that we try to just put words we want scripture on your lips every day when you're in your house you're in your car driving around that the songs that you're singing that you're just singing the word of God so, for example, I need some crowd participation. We good? Everybody okay? Okay, let's, let's see. See if you can finish the song. I want to make sure you've been singing the songs. You know what we're singing. The earth is the Lord. Okay, okay. I see you guys. Psalm 24.1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
It's just scripture. We're literally singing the word of God. The next one, you come to me with the sword and a spear. Y'all been singing. That's giant from the war album. And it says in 1 Samuel 17, 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear. And he says with a javelin too, but that's kind of hard to sing in a song. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. We're singing scripture. Javelin is just a weird word. Don't judge us. The next one, okay. You say come to me. Okay, y'all were a little shaky there, but we, we got it. We got it. You know this part? You. You know it. It's scripture. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You guys know these songs. Here's the last one. This is one of my favorites. Spirit of wisdom, spirit of counsel, spirit of knowledge. Okay, we don't, you don't have to do that part, but y'all got it. You know the song. That's Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And you guys even know the second part. Not by might, but by the of the Lord. You guys know it. It's again, Zechariah 4, 6. He says it. This is the word of the Lord. It's Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by the spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And I started to notice when we were singing specifically this song, People started coming up to me and asking, is this song like biblical? Like, what are we singing? Like, what is this? People were really asking that question. And when I, when I realized how often that question was being asked, I was like, okay, we probably need to teach on this song. We probably need to talk about it a little bit. And while the song is called The Fear of the Lord, it's important that you know that this song is actually about the seven spirits of God. And it comes straight from scripture. So let's, let's just lean into it a little bit. And I, I can already hear some of you in the room. I hear it. What in the world do you mean by the seven spirits of God? You don't have to like raise your hand, but I can hear some of you like, what is that? What does that mean? So I want to give you a warning before we jump in. Don't be distracted by the phrase, the seven spirits of God and miss what God has for you today. To be clear, at Mercy Culture, we believe the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity, uh, it's on our statement of faith on our website, but we believe that there is only one God and that he is eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So before we go any further, we are not suggesting that there are seven spirits to be added to the Trinity. Just wanna make it real clear, so don't go tell your friends after church that Pastor Jasmine said that there's 10 spirits or something weird, okay? So we're saying the Trinity is three, Three, just three, but there is something to be learned about the seven spirits of God. So we're gonna unpack what that means. 
Uh, people often call the seven spirits of God the, the seven distinct expressions of the Holy Spirit or the seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I've heard it said that it's, it can be called the seven manifold operations of the Holy Spirit. But today, I'm just going to say the seven spirits of God because that's what the Bible says. The exact phrase is used four times in the Bible with many other references to the seven spirits of God all throughout the word. And then there's a lot of symbols scattered throughout the scripture that represent the seven spirits of God. And honestly, when you see it, you won't be able to unsee it. So today I'm going to help you see it in the scripture. Uh, and one of the first places that I want to talk about is in Zechariah 4. Zechariah has this encounter with an angel where he's being introduced to the seven spirits of God. He's having this encounter where he sees this vision of the seven spirits of God. And the angel's response makes it very clear that Zechariah should have already known about the seven spirits of God. It was like the angel was shocked. You know how when you say to a friend about your new favorite, your favorite artist or something that you really like and they've never heard of it before and you kind of judge them and you're like, what did you say? You don't know what that is? Like that was the angel's response to Zechariah when he began to experience and see and learn about the seven spirits of God. The angel was like, you don't know about this? That lets me know that it's foundational in the word of God, that it's something we're supposed to know, but it's something that, don't, that doesn't get talked about a lot in the house, in the house of God. And so today we're going to focus on it because I believe it's foundational. In the book of Revelation, John describes the Trinity, but Pay attention to how he acknowledges the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. John says, grace to, grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth. So I want you to catch it. He mentions the Father, and he says, this is the one who is, who was, and is to come. He mentions Jesus the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings in the earth. And then third, he mentions the Holy Spirit. But instead of just saying the Holy Spirit, John says the seven spirits of God before the throne. Now, if that was me or you, we probably would have just said the Holy Spirit. But for some reason, John decides to say that it's the seven spirits of God in place of him describing the Holy Spirit. It happens again in Revelation 4. Jesus, now Jesus invites John into the throne room. So you have Jesus next to John. They're looking at, at, at God seated on the throne. And then John begins to describe everything that's happening around the throne. And in, in his description, again, the Holy Spirit is there, but he doesn't say the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus. He says the seven spirits of God. That's Revelations 4, verse 5. And he says, and before the throne, there were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. So he describes the throne room, but he acknowledges the spirit of God as the seven spirits of God again. Keeps happening with John. Interestingly enough, seven is the number of fullness. So the seven spirits of God are the fullness of the spirit. And somehow the spirit of God encompasses all seven spirits of God. And we see this ability in every part of the Trinity. So for example, God is Father, which we see in Matthew 6, 9. He's El Elyon, the Most High in Genesis 14, 20. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals in Exodus 15, 26. He's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Jireh. 
He somehow, all of these things at the exact same time. Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, Emmanuel, the Cornerstone, Prince of Peace. He's somehow all of these things at the same time. And for both God and Jesus, there's so many other names that they carry. How can they be all of those things at the same time? The same is true about the Holy Spirit. In the same way, there's only one spirit, but according to Isaiah 11, this spirit is the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. He's somehow all of these things at the same time. That's what it says about the Holy Spirit. And now a picture is worth a thousand words. So the Lord gave us a menorah to represent the spirits of God. For those of you who maybe have never seen a menorah or are not familiar with the menorah, there's a picture of it on the screen right now. But in Exodus 25, verses 31 through 40, God instructs Moses to build a replica of this menorah that's actually in Revelation 4.4, which is in the holy place, it's, or it's in the, the throne room. And that's in Exodus 25, Revelation 4.4. And according to Hebrews, the blueprint that God gave Moses is only a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. So God gave Moses a replica to build of something that was actually in heaven, that God wanted in the earth. And after it was built, the menorah remained in the holy place. So Moses, they built it, and then they put it in the holy place. It was across from the table of showbread and next to the altar of incense. The tabernacle, which was where it was all, what it was all in, the tabernacle was built with no windows, so the only source of light was the menorah. It was the only way that people could see in the holy place. As described in Exodus 24, it was six feet tall, seven, seven flamed lampstand made of pure gold. So raise your hand if you're six foot tall. Just stand up for a second, all you tall humans. Just look around the room at these tall humans. This is how tall this menorah was in the house of God. You guys can be seated. Shout outs to all the tall humans in the house of God. But that's how tall the, the menorah was. So it's not this little replica of something. It's large and it's in the house of God and it's lighting the holy place in the house of God. At the top of every lamp, there was a little cup of oil. Put the, the photo back up, the image back up. At the top of every lamp, this is like probably, it's probably life size. It's probably actually six feet up here. Can we get the image back up again? At the top of every one of the lamps, there is actually a, okay, okay. There's a little cup that's about four inches deep that oil and a wick would go into. And it was fresh oil of the purest quality that was used to daily light these lamps. And this is very important. In the word of God, oil represents intimacy with the Lord. So I want you to remember that. Lamps can't stay lit without oil. Things get dim, it's hard to see. And so the priests were assigned to tend to the lamps on the menorah daily from, from evening until morning. In other words, someone had to tend to the menorah every single day. 
This is why we believe our vision is taking people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters. It's the model we even see with the priests in the tabernacle. It's about intimacy with God. Every day, fresh oil should be put in our lamp so that we can function fully. And the Lord could have used anything as a symbol for the seven spirits of God, but one of the symbols that he chose was the menorah. And it's one of the most prevalent ones. Now remember the scripture from earlier, Proverbs 20, verses 27. It says, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. Say, my spirit is the lamp of the Lord. Your spirit is a lamp. And so the, the, the menorah was lit so that the priest could see in the temple. So you have to realize now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that his spirit dwells inside of you? We're, today we're talking about the seven spirits of God because I need you to know that you're housing the lamp of the Lord. The menorah inside of you is supposed to be lit and burning. You're housing the lamp of the Lord. And the world desperately needs us to walk in all of these things. The world desperately needs us to be bright, to be burning ones. Luke 8, 16 says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who may enter see the light. Your family desperately needs you to be burning with the spirit of the Lord. Your, your wife desperately needs you to be burning and carrying the spirit of understanding. The world around you needs you to be carrying wisdom. Your husband needs you to be carrying the, the spirit of counsel. Your business needs you to be burning with the spirit of might. You need the spirit of knowledge to, to run for office like the Lord told you to in government. You need the fear of the Lord so you don't bow to the fear of man as things get crazy in the earth. We need to be burning with the seven spirits of God. Now, let's begin to break these down a little bit. And my warning for you is there's so much to say about all of them. And so for the sake of time, I'm just going to share briefly on all of them. But I'm asking you to go study them. Go, go look this up in the Word of God and eat it up and, and learn more about what the Lord has for you in it. Uh, but the first one, you can put the image back up. The first one in the seven spirits of God, right in the middle. Hey, guys. There you go. Okay. So right in the middle, right here, the base of the menorah, this base represents the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. The beautiful thing about the way the menorah is set up, you can just leave this image up for a while. Uh, the beautiful thing about the way that the, the menorah is set up is that the Spirit of the Lord is the base and all of the other spirits emerge or come from the Spirit of the Lord. So in case you're trying to figure out, well, how does all this fit together? They flow from the Spirit of the Lord, but they're all connected to one another. Pastor Landon preached about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago in the Make Me Holy message. And if you haven't listened to that message yet, you should go, go look it up. Go take a listen to that message because you'll get to learn of the beauty of the Spirit of the Lord. But I want you to notice that the other branches on the menorah are coupled together. And so you'll see... These two branches are connected to one another. These two branches are connected. These two branches are connected. Now remember in Hebrews 8, it says that, that what God gave Moses was a replica or a copy and a shadow of what was in heaven. So you have to understand that everything that's set up in this menorah, the symbol of the seven spirits of God is intentional. Nothing was done by accident or just by happenstance. So there's a reason that they're all coupled with one another. 
So let's look at the first coupling, and it's the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding. The spirit of wisdom is the capacity to judge and act rightly in matters relating to life and conduct. My definition of wisdom would be knowing what to do with what you know. Wisdom requires knowledge to operate. Wisdom is needed when building anything. According to Proverbs 24.3, it says, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. It applies to building family, to building your life, to building your business, personal growth, relational growth, spiritual growth, building a ministry. You need wisdom to build anything. Wisdom always has fruit. It produces something. Luke 7.35 says, Justice is ju or wisdom is justified by her children. Wisdom is not fear. Many people have named their fear wisdom. I felt that one just hit the room. Are you naming your fear wisdom? What else have you named fear in your life? Have you named it safety? Have you named it discernment? Have you named it compassion? What are you doing in fear and naming it something else? I remember a few years ago, I, got, I had this dream that I got invited to the White House with a bunch of spiritual leaders. And I was like, what in the world is this? Maybe it's symbolic of the political realm. And about a year later, I actually got invited to the White House. And it was while President Trump was in office and it was around the year, I think it was, it was around 2020. It was just in the midst of all the tension, all the intensity that was going on. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm a whole black woman in these streets. And so the invitation to go to the White House, I knew that I would have family members that would have some things to say, some friends that would have some things to say. And so honestly, when I got the invitation, I thought a couple times about if I was gonna do it or not. And I tried to call it wisdom. I was like, well, you know, I need to like make sure I'm supposed to be there. I don't know if this is the season for these things. And the Lord convicted me and said, no, that's fear. That's fear of man. You're afraid of what people will say. You're afraid of what they're gonna, how they're, what they're gonna comment on the photo. You're afraid of how they're gonna feel about it. And the reality is I, I went in obedience. I couldn't debate it because the Lord gave me a dream about it a year before. So the whole, all the wisdom was just not even, my wisdom was not real. It was fear that I was making a decision by. The wisdom of the Lord was to respond to him, to know what to do with the information I received through the dream. And it was to partner with what God wanted to do in the White House, which just so you know, we had an opportunity to lay hands and pray over the president and prophesy. And it wasn't some light prayer. It, we, we, we went in. So we were laying hands and declaring truth and declaring the word of the Lord over the president. I also want you to know that there's a difference between earthly wisdom and God's wisdom. In fact, in James 3, James had to explain the difference. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
Now, this tells me that people must have been confusing earthly wisdom with God's wisdom, or else James wouldn't have had to lay it out like that. James gave a beautiful description of what wisdom is, but he also associated jealousy and selfish ambition with earthly wisdom. So I want to encourage you, wherever you find jealousy and selfish ambition leading you into something, you're probably operating in earthly wisdom. For example, you're giving everything, laying it all down at your job, sacrificing your family, just trying to go after it, get what's yours, but it's all fueled in selfish ambition and jealousy of somebody else that got a promotion before you did. That's earthly wisdom. Be careful of mistaking godly wisdom for earthly wisdom. They're not the same thing. Let's go to the third one, the spirit of understanding. The spirit of understanding is the ability to discern the Lord's perfect will. The Hebrew word for understanding is binal, which it, it, it actually means to discern or to distinguish. And this word discern means to be able to distinguish between lookalikes. It's important that we walk in understanding because we have to be able to discern the difference between what God is doing in the earth and what the enemy is doing. You have to be aware that there's counterfeits in the earth and understanding is what helps us walk in the midst of counterfeits and know what's true and what's not. The spirit of understanding cuts through deception. You should be able to, to cut through all the information and things that are being fueled through the media and the world when you operate in understanding. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 18, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil, he says. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is saying we need understanding in these hours. The spirit of understanding illuminates the nature of God. The root word for understanding means to stand under. To be under something means to be at the foundation of it. The foundation of a thing allows you to see the origin, the beginning, or the heart of a thing. When we're able to get to the foundation of the nature of God, it's easy to obey God. Psalm 119.34 says, give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all of my heart. And this is why we have to eat the word of God is because we learn who he is through the word. And then we need understanding to obey him. And now the spirit of wisdom and understanding, as I said before, that's the first couple. So these two go together. We see it in Colossians 1, 9 through 10. And it says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in the manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. The spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding enable us together to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord according to scripture. The sons of Issachar operated in the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding together. In 1 Chronicles 12, the Bible describes them by saying that they were men who had understanding of the times and knew what to do. They understood the times and knew how to respond. They operated in heaven's wisdom as well as heaven's understanding. Proverbs 2 says, make your, two, two through five, or Proverbs 2, 5 says, make your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Those two go together. They're designed to operate together. The next couple that we see is the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might. That will be the next section out. The spirit of counsel is the precise consultation and strategy of heaven. The Hebrew word for counsel means to advise 
or it means advice, design, strategize, scheme, or the consultation of the Lord. Proverbs 19.21 says that there are many plans in a man's heart, nevertheless the Lord's counsel that will stand. Sometimes we move in our own counsel, and then we rebuke the enemy for getting in the way of what the Lord was going to do. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We decide what we're going to do, and then we're like, spiritual warfare, it's not working. Sometimes the actual issue is that we're missing the counsel of the Lord. Sometimes it just didn't work because you didn't ask God what to do. And he had counsel reserved for you in that thing. It says that many are the plans of a man, but the Lord's counsel will stand. The counsel of the Lord outlasts man's strategies. Psalm 33, 11 says the counsel of the Lord stands forever. It outlasts man's counsel. It outlasts man's strategy. Practical advice about this one is assume God has something to say about everything. Just start like that. Every, everything in your life, just assume he has something to say. Start right there. Ask him questions. Inquire of the Lord. The spirit of might is the substance of courage and strength that comes from the Lord. That's the next one. The Hebrew definition of might is the strength, the courage, the ability or power, which is dunamis. The spirit of might dismantles fear, intimidation, and timidity. And how many of you know we need the spirit of might in a, in a culture that's bound by fear? We must have the spirit of might in this hour. We often fail to see the spirit of might in operation when we're determined to show our own might. He can accomplish more, God can accomplish more with less time, resources, effort, and energy than we could with all of the time, all of the resources, all of the effort, and all of the energy in the world. He can do more with less. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And in the, the, the context of this passage is it's by the spirit of the Lord, mountains can be made low. High things come low. God wanted this guy named Zerubbabel to know that his might and his power weren't as powerful as heaven's might and power. The spirit of might goes beyond man's might. Now let's look at the coupling of the two, the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might. This pair is important because God shows you what to do with the spirit of counsel and then he gives you the ability to do it with the spirit of might. Jeremiah 32, 19 says, you are great in counsel and mighty in work. It's who he is. God is both full of counsel and mighty to perform his work. This, this combination of counsel and might reminds me of this, the story of how the fear of the Lord song came about. For those of you who don't know, it, it was started, it, it, was birth, I guess you could say, Jalen and I were leading worship over on the Justice Residence property for Justice Night several months ago, and I think it was November of last year, and we, how many of y'all were there? Was anybody there? It was really cold. It was very cold. Me and Jalen were singing like this, like it was just, it's cold, and so we're worshiping the Lord, we're singing, and all of a sudden, towards the end of the night, this melody just drops in my spirit. So I take out my phone, 
and I start recording the phrases that I heard, and I would show you guys the phrases, but you'd question my calling as a worship leader because it sounds really bad. Uh, like, y'all don't want to hear it, but like, it was real. I started singing these two phrases, and I, I heard that phrase, no spirit but the Holy Spirit, that Pastor Landon in our house says all the time, declares all the time. And then I began to hear Isaiah 11:2 in my spirit, all these different the spirits of God. I started hearing them listed out, and I'm like, Lord, how do, you, how do I even sing that? There's a lot of syllables and a lot of words. And so I was just trying to record it. And then at the very end of the night, I started singing this thing, no spirit, but the Holy Spirit. And as soon as I said, no spirit, Jalen started singing the rest of it with me. We both kind of looked at each other, like, how do you know this song? He's like, how do you know this song? <laughs> we were both confused. Literally that night we were like, is that your song? Or like, did we sing that before? Is that somebody else's song? And I spent the next 24 hours trying to figure out if we sang it before, where it came from, but it was the spirit of God. He dropped it in both of our spirits. And the next night we had a rehearsal. So we came in here and Jalen and I both happened to be scheduled the next night. And so we start worshiping and all of a sudden this song starts coming out during rehearsal. And, and then Jalen starts singing the other part that, that's a, now a part of the song, not by might, nor by power, by the spirit of the Lord. So we're both singing it and the spirit of God's in the room and it's getting crazy in rehearsal. We encountered the Lord. And so then Sunday we felt led to sing it again. We're like, let's sing it again. So Sunday we sing it and the power of God breaks out in the room. I don't know, remember who was there? I don't know if you were there or not, but it was crazy. The tangible presence of God came into the room and deliverance started breaking out as we sang the song. And so that day we left and we were like, man, I think we need to go write this song and like just do it. And so we went and started working on the song and now we're trying to like fix the song. So we're trying to like craft the verses and craft the chorus and make it cool and write and do all this stuff to it. And according to man's standards in the Christian music industry, we're trying to like fix the song. We were literally like, maybe it's three different songs. Let's split them up and make them different songs. And the next Sunday, we were like, okay, let's sing it. So we showed up Sunday. We're like, this is a Sunday, but we're going to sing it. So we get up here, we get into it. And about halfway through the song, before we could even finish it, Pastor Isaac comes up and starts hosting. And me and Jalen looked at each other like defeated. <laughs> Pastor Isaac, you interrupted the song that we were trying to record, you know. And so it happens in both services to the point to where we get to the end of the service, the end of the day. And I'm like, Lord, I thought you wanted us to record the song. You gave us this song, what happened today? And I heard him say, you never asked me about the song. I was like, huh. <laughs> I guess you're right, we did it. We did that thing when we were working on the song where you asked the Lord something but then you never stopped to listen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Lord, whatever you want, does whatever you want. We did that thing. We asked, we, we asked the Lord in passing what he wanted and didn't stop to listen, of him, to listen to what he had to say. And so I was immediately convicted about this. And so I sent a team, a message to our team and I began to repent for poor leadership. And I said, I'm sorry guys, I didn't lead well. We should have stopped and listened to the Lord and asked what he had to say about this song. And so we asked him and then he said, his response was, I want the original, don't touch it. Now that was exactly what we didn't want to hear. Because on that Sunday, the song was like 20 minutes long. And who releases a 20 minute long song? Oh, Mercy Culture does. <laughs> but, but it was 20 minutes and then 
happy and Jalen's voices are cracking and we're like, <laughs> like just hitting bad notes. The band's doing weird stuff. We're like, Lord, how are we going to build a music career? How will we do it, Lord? <laughs> and in the midst of it all, I felt led to study Isaiah 11, and as I started studying it, I realized that there was so much revelation in Isaiah 11, and the songs that we thought were two different songs, we realized it was actually one song because the scripture for the two different songs actually were talking about the same thing, and we didn't even realize it, and before we knew it, we realized God had written a song himself. And we almost got in the way of a song he wanted to write because of our preference and because of our lack of asking him what he wanted and listening and responding. And so, I don't know about you guys, but anytime I hear the song, I feel like I'm up, run through a wall. Anytime we sing it, I'm like, knocking down LED screens. You guys know what I'm talking about? You listen to it in your car and you're about to wreck because it's just crazy. What are you experiencing? The spirit of might. That's what is released on the song because the spirit of counsel helped us write the song. The spirit of counsel and the spirit of might are coupled together. Let's look at the next one. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That la this is the last coupling of the two, of, of, of two of them. It says the spirit of knowledge is to be certain by seeing. The root of the Hebrew word knowledge is to be certain by seeing. The spirit of knowledge allows you to know things that seem to be obscure or hard for you to wrap your mind around in the natural. The Bible says that a lack of knowledge is destructive. Hosea 4, 6, it says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It says, because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest unto me. It's a strong statement. The Lord has strong feelings about knowledge, about the spirit of knowledge. Ultimately, the spirit of knowledge empowers us to know God. It empowers us to have the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord, number seven, is the reverential awe of the Lord that produces a fear of not wanting to live without him. The Hebrew translation of the fear of the Lord is reverence or to be in awe of the Lord. We're living in a world that is massively void of the fear of the Lord. And the danger of living in a world that's void of the fear of the Lord is how easy it is to conform to a life that is void of the fear of the Lord. And really, we should be obsessed with pleasing him. We should be obsessed with finding out what do we need to do just to keep him here, to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.10 says, find out what pleases the Lord. Ephesians 4.30 makes it clear that it is possible to grieve him. And so we want to be obsessed with, Lord, what does it take to keep you here? In my life, in my family, in my home, in my job, in my business, in the house of the Lord. That is the fear of the Lord. What does it take to keep you here? Whatever it takes, Lord. The fear of the Lord produces life. Proverbs 14, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. There's friendship with the Lord in the fear of the Lord. Psalm 20, 25, 14 says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. And then we have the coupling of the two, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I'm sure you know this verse. Remember I said earlier 
that when you hear it, when you begin to see these couplings, you can't unsee it, right? And I know you know this verse. The Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The two are designed to operate with one another. When you know the Lord, you fear the Lord. And unless you fear the Lord, you know nothing. They go together. Proverbs 2, verse 5 says, If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God coupled together. And again, we have those seven spirits, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So my, my question is to you, remember that they are lamps represented as a, as a symbol of the menorah. My question for you today is are these lamps lit in you? Are they lit in you? Every day in my personal encounter, my daily personal encounter, I ask the Lord to light the menorah inside of me. These seven spirits of God represent the skill of heaven. The Lord releases them into the earth to empower us to do the things that he wants accomplished in the earth. I just want to invite the band to come up. I want to go back to this main text. During this time in 1 Samuel chapters 2 and 3, this is a very significant time in Israel. Eli and his sons were priests of the Lord at Shiloh. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the Bible describes Eli's sons very distinctly. 1 Samuel 2 verse 12 says that the sons of Eli were worthless men, that they did not know the Lord. That's a strong statement. It's what the word of God said about Eli's sons. Because the sons of Eli were operating in the house of the Lord without the fear of the Lord. They were sleeping with women. They were taking more than they were supposed to take as priests in the house of the Lord. And so Eli became aware of the sins of his sons, and he addressed them. But the word of God says that they did not listen. And Eli did nothing to correct them, did nothing else to correct them. So the Lord sent a prophet to Eli to address the sin of their family. And this prophet let Eli know that his sons would die and that God would raise up someone else for himself. Then, in 1 Samuel 3-2, right after that moment happens, it says that Eli's eyes had begun to grow dim so that he could not see what was happening here. The lamp of the Lord was growing dim in Eli. His spiritual eyes were growing dim. In the very next verse, it also mentions that the lamp of God had not yet gone out, 1 Samuel 3.3. Now this is referring, this lamp of God that it's referring to is the menorah in the house of the Lord. And so it's saying the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out yet, and Eli's eyes were growing dim. He was becoming spiritually dark, dim, dying spiritually. And the way he handled his sons was a picture of the lack of the fear of the Lord that he was walking in. I believe that was part of the dimming that was happening. It's also interesting that we never heard of Eli ministering to the Lord. We only ever heard of Eli being in the room while Samuel was ministering to the Lord. 
doesn't say a lot about what Eli was doing as a priest. It does speak about some things that he didn't do, but it says a lot about what Samuel did do. Over and over again, it said that Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The other thing that was interesting with Eli, by this time, it seemed like God was talking to everybody but Eli. He sent a prophet to speak to him. Then he used Samuel to speak to him. I just want to make you aware of something. If God's speaking to everyone but you about you, it should provoke you. And that's the state that Eli was living in at this time. Now we know Eli was familiar with God's voice. He'd heard God before. His eyes weren't always dim because he's the one that taught Samuel to respond to the Lord. You guys remember the story? Samuel's hearing his name being called and he keeps going to Eli. Eli's like, it's not me. The third time Eli realizes, oh, the Lord's speaking to him. So he says, Eli or Samuel, the next time you hear your name, say, speak, Lord, for your servants listening. Eli taught Samuel what to do when he heard God's voice. So Eli wasn't unfamiliar with God, but something had changed in Eli's life. We also see he's desperate for the voice of the Lord. Right after Samuel has that encounter and all these, he's talking to the Lord, having this dialogue with the Lord, it says that he carries on and Eli comes to him the next morning and says, Samuel, what did the Lord say? What did he say? He's desperate for God's voice because he wasn't hearing God's voice. In 1 Samuel 4.15, the Bible describes Eli's state of being yet again. This time it says Eli was 98 years old. And again, it says his eyes were so dim that he could not see. This could be here to explain why Eli didn't have the ability to, to know that, they were, that there was a battle happening, that he couldn't see anything. Maybe it's there to show us how old Eli really was. But I believe that statement of his eyes being so dim that he couldn't see, that it was actually there to show us again Eli's spiritual state. Because it's the same phrase that was used earlier in 1 Samuel 3, 2. Eli had no idea what was happening in his life. He's losing everything. His sons just died. The presence of God was gone. They lost the battle. He was blind. He couldn't see. His eyes were so dim that he could no longer see anything. The man tells everything that happened in the war and then Eli dies. And long before Eli died physically, Eli had died spiritually. His physical death was sudden, but his spiritual death was a process. It happened slowly. It says that his eyes grew dim and that doesn't mean he woke up one day and he was just blind. It meant that it happened little by little. You know those dimmers on the lights where just slowly it goes down until all of a sudden it's dark. That's what happened to Eli. The menorah in Eli, the seven spirits of God in Eli was no longer lit and it costed everyone around him. The city suffered because Eli's eyes grew dim. His son suffered because his eyes grew dim. Eli suffered because his eyes grew dim. My question to you is who's suffering because your eyes have grown dim? 
who's suffering because your lamp isn't lit. Our nation needs your lamp to be lit. Your family needs your lamp to be lit. Your generation needs your lamps to be lit. We need, we need you moving with the spirit of the Lord. We need you operating in the spirit of wisdom in this hour. We need you walking in the spirit of understanding. We need the spirit of counsel. We need the spirit of might. This requires the spirit of knowledge and we really need the fear of the Lord for the hour that we're living in right now. But the reason Eli's lamp wasn't lit was because Eli didn't have oil anymore. There was no intimacy. Remember, he couldn't even recognize God's voice anymore. God wasn't speaking to him. He wasn't ministering to the Lord. Samuel was. The Bible in 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Another translation says, whose hearts are devoted to him, whose hearts are fully committed, whose hearts love him deeply. The Lord is looking to show himself strong on our behalf, but he's looking for hearts that have been intimate with him. The spirit of the Lord was looking for someone who was loyal. He was looking for intimacy. He was looking for oil. Today I came to tell you that your lamp cannot stay lit in this hour unless you have oil. Just every eye closed in the room right now. As I prayed into this message today, I was asking the Lord, Lord, what's your heart for this message? What do you want today? And I heard him say, I just want to be known. I just want to be known. I just want to be known. The spirit of wisdom, he just wants to be known. The spirit of understanding wants to be known. The spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord desires to be known today. I believe there's a few different people in the room this morning that the Lord wants to touch. He wants to minister to you as we minister to him. This first group of people, like Eli, you've been in it for a while, but your eyes have grown dim. You're running low on oil. You're running low on intimacy with God. Maybe you didn't even realize it until today because it's been a slow process but you've lost everything like Eli. You don't hear him the way you used to. Don't feel him the way you used to. You don't desire him the way that you used to. You lost your family, you lost your battle, you lost the presence of God. You're, the things aren't the same anymore. And we could do an altar call this morning for the seven spirits of God and go on and on about asking for the seven spirits of God but I just want you to know we can't even have the flame of the seven spirits of God without oil, without intimacy. And so if that's you today, the first group of people, I just want to just boldly invite you to come, just come to the altar. 
If you're one of those people that says, man, my lamp has grown dim. Something has happened. It's not the same. I just want you to come down, make your way down to the altar. And I just, we're just going to take a moment. I want us to begin to just minister to the Lord. All we're going to do right now is just love on him, is just minister to him. If you're one of the people that's like, man, I, I just want to burn again. I just want to be lit again. I, I just want to know him again. I, I, I need oil. I need fresh oil. I, I need to encounter him again. I need to hear his voice. In my heart burns for you. And my heart burns for you. Come on, just sing that out. In my oh God. Just wanna burn for you, God. My heart. Yeah, come on, every hand lifted in the room. Just say, my heart burns for you. In my heart. Just sing it to Sing to him, tell him you love him, tell him you adore him. Come on. 
sing it in your heavenly language. I saw the Lord wanting to fill people with His Spirit this morning. Even as we're singing in the Spirit right now, if you desire your heavenly language, if you need a fresh and filling of the Spirit of the Lord for another time or for the first time, just lift your hands right now. And I believe He's going to be dropping that gift in the room. Come on, sing out in your heavenly language. to do in the room this morning there was in that same passage there is this moment where it says in 1 Samuel 4 13 that Eli was sitting on a seat by the wayside watching for his heart was trembled for the ark or his heart trembled for the ark of God and this verse just kept being highlighted as I prepared for this morning I said, Lord, it's interesting that Eli was trembling for the ark of the Lord because it seems that he didn't have the fear of the Lord anymore. So why was he trembling? If you remember, his sons were sitting in the house of the Lord. and It says that he allowed his sons to carry the ark of the Lord into battle. After already receiving the rebuke of the Lord regarding the toleration of their sins, didn't have the fear of the Lord anymore. So why was he trembling for the ark of God? I began to ask the Lord about this passage, this, this, this part of the scripture, and I, I heard the Lord say, Eli saw the presence of God as a weapon rather than a relationship or intimacy with the Lord. There's this moment where it says that they were losing in the battle against the Philistines and the elders were like, why are we losing? He said, send the ark into the battlefield and see what happens. They let 
these sinful sons carry the ark. They weren't concerned with pleasing the Lord. They weren't concerned with the presence of God. They just thought the ark might help them in the battle. Now, Lord, show me this morning. We have this, we're naturally an intense house going after things in the spirit. There's reformation that rests in this house. We're seeing things happen. SB 14 being passed, Roe versus Wade overturned. We're seeing all these incredible things happen in the spirit. We're kind of intense people naturally in this house. I felt a warning from the Lord for us that we had to be aware of simply using the Lord as a battle plan. Simply using the presence of God as a weapon. He's not interested in being your weapon. He's not interested in being your battle axe and being your battle plan. He desires relationship. He desires intimacy. In fact, again, in 1 Chronicles 16, 9, he says... He's searching the earth to and fro, looking for somebody to show himself strong for. And it's the one whose heart is committed to him. So what he's saying is, if I can just find somebody who just loves me for me, I'll be the battle plan for you. I just need you to love me first. I just need you to come for me. I just need you to want me. I just need you to love me. The difficult part about that is that we hate losing. But my question to you is, do you love God more than you care about losing? What if we were a people that just loved him whether we won or lost in the battle, we just had him? Because the thing is, Israel in this passage, they tried to use him as a battle weapon and they lost the battle anyway. I wonder if they would have had the fear of the Lord, if they would have just loved him for him. I'm sure that battle would have ended differently. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added anyway. We have to start with seeking him. We have to start with just loving him. What does it matter if we even have the seven spirits of God, but we don't love him? It doesn't matter. That's why it requires oil. And so I just felt like I was supposed to give you an opportunity to just search your heart for a moment. I'm asking you, is God your battle plan or is he your friend? I just want you to search for a moment. Is he just a weapon for you? Is he just your means of making it through, your means of having a successful life, your means of being prosperous, or do you just want him no matter what? And this morning, he wants that intimacy with you. So would you just begin to tell him, God, I want you more than the victory. Just tell him, just say it. Lord, I want you more than the victory. Uh, say it, God, I want you more than the victory. Lord, mercy culture wants you more than the victory. If we never saw another bill passed, if we never saw anything else happen, Lord, we want you more than we want the victory. 
if we never had another awesome conference, if we never saw an amazing thing happen, another miracle, Lord, we want you more than the victory. We want you more than all of it, Lord. Just want you, Lord. Just tell him, I just want you. I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Tell him, I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. Just want you. I just want From the bottom of your heart, tell them nothing else. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. I just want. Come on, tell him nothing else. Nothing else. I don't want anything else. Nothing else. I don't want it. I don't want it. Nothing else will do. I just want you. I just want. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want one time. Nothing else. Nothing else. Ain't nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you. I just want Ain't nothing else. Nothing else. Oh, nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want. I just want you to begin now to ask God to light the menorah in you. Just begin to say, Lord, light the menorah in me. Just begin to ask Him right now. Open your mouth. Just say, Lord, light your menorah in me. Light your lamp in me. Come on, ask Him. Open up your mouth. I'm teaching you how to encounter Him right now. Invite Him right now. Begin to ask Him to do it. Lord, light the menorah in me. Light the seven lampstands in me. Lord, I want all of you. I want the fullness of the Spirit. Even right now, Lord, as you begin to light lamps in this room, I declare no spirit is welcome in this room but the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we welcome the fullness of your Spirit right now, God. Mm. No spirit but the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit. Come on, just invite him to light him. Come on, come, come, come. No spirit. No spirit. But the Holy Spirit. Oh. Come, come, come. Sing, come, come, come. Come on, sing it again. No spirit, but the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit. Come on, every voice in the room. Sing, come, come, come. Come on, sing, come, come, come. No spirit but the Holy Spirit. You're the one we want. But the Holy Spirit. Come, come, come. Now just begin to sing in your heavenly language again. Come on. One more time this morning. 
just thank him for his spirit can you thank him for the fire thank him for reigniting thank him for the intimacy thank you holy spirit jesus king of kings thank you for sending your spirit thank you for wisdom thank you for counsel thank you for might thank you for understanding thank you for the fear of the lord I want to invite our prayer team to come up to the front. If you need prayer for anything, they're going to be up here. And if you're in this room and you haven't given your life to the Lord, I want to invite you to come up and pray with one of our prayer team members. You don't know what to do with your life. They're going to pray with you and help walk you through what it is to live for Jesus. Our ways to give are going to be on the screen. I want to thank you for giving. That's the way that you can partner with what God is doing here in this house. The last thing that I want to do is I want to pray our benediction. So if you don't mind just standing right where you're at and lift your hands, we're going to pray this together. Oh Lord, would you teach us your ways that we would know you and find your favor. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. We'll see you guys soon. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 